0: Welcome to Worldwide Waste, a podcast about how digital is killing the planet and what to do about it. Nick Evanson is a lecturer in mechanical engineering at one of the UK's leading colleges and is a contributing editor at Techspot.com, a leading computer and technology publication. He has over 20 years experience in STEM education specialising in physics, mathematics and computing. He is passionate about educating people, young and old, about the benefits of engineering and computing and how they can be a critical part in solving the world's critical issues of climate change, finite resources and environmental health. I started off by asking Nick about the rapidly approaching zettabyte Armageddon. By 2035, there will be more than 2,000 zettabytes of data according to Statista. You've estimated that, based on current storage pricing, it could cost somewhere in the region of $58 trillion to store that amount of data. The US economy is worth about $20 trillion. Uh, so even even if we get uh, hugely much more uh, cheaper storage solutions, this is, this is an enormous quantity of data that we're talking about. And is it, is it sustainable that we'll you know reach these levels and can will not hit some sort of a crisis if we get even close to 2,000 zettabytes?
1: That's a really good question. Um, in terms of whether it's sustainable beyond, say, um, a 15-year growth pattern, probably not. But between now and 2035, 58 trillion, um, or going back to the 2000 zettabytes, that's a global figure. um, And the global economy is something estimated to be something like 80 trillion, um, with an average 5% growth over the past sort of 20 years. If one assumes that that global economy will continue to grow, Uh, It's. I'm not going to say it's affordable, (laughs) Um, even if it was $1 trillion, um, let alone sort of $60 trillion, that's not realistically sustainable because we're looking at um, something in the region of $800 billion of just purchasing storage per year um, to meet that target.
0: Yeah, it's it's um, connected with that. Like I've been working in the web or d- with, generally with large websites for t- 25 years. And, and what I found time and time again was that whenever I'd be working on a large intranet or with Microsoft or somebody like that, that typically 80 to 90 percent of the intranet was junk or 80 to 90 percent of the mm-hmm. um Uh, website was junk. I remember doing work with Microsoft at one stage, they estimated they had 15 million pages on their public website and that 4 million of them had never been accessed. So basically the size of the population of Ireland of pages that nobody had ever looked at. And I've seen multiple other studies from IBM, et cetera, et cetera, estimating that up to 90% of data is is not useful that either 90% of data is not accessed 3 months after it's created or that you know a huge quantity of this these zettabytes of data is is actually junk it's not it's not useful data it's not data that's being put to work so under your calculations we could have a by 2035 we could have a 50 trillion dollar data garbage problem like it wouldn't even be it wouldn't even be useful data that we'd be storing You know, how do we avoid that?
1: What I've learned over the years is as new problems arise in engineering technology, it creates new job opportunities um, to solve them. And I think this is very much one of them. Um, the, The past 20, 30 years of managing servers and storage and so on has been mostly revolved around the hardware side of things and a little bit on software and far, far less about precisely what's being stored. So I think what we'll probably start to see is an increase in need for training and experience in data management and uh, not just managing the data, but creating tools and systems to actually analyze this data and go, this really is junk. It's it's not just, oh, it'd be nice to keep. We actually just need to flag it up and get rid of it.
0: Yeah, and, and I remember many years ago when I was starting off in the web in the, the 90s and uh, meeting a, a senior manager who was coming close to retirement. And he was telling me, that um you know when he was a young manager he every time he'd be moving up the organizational chain or there'd be some, some changes he'd be often sent on a managing your office course uh and it was stuff like how to how to look after your filing cabinet how to store things in your filing cabinet how to use you know folders and stuff like that and then he said at some stage in you know the eighties or whatever, when computers came in, they stopped giving the course. Uh, his, yeah. his his company did, and you know he just laughed at me and he says, you know, he says when I look at my computer, I've got a, a hundred filing cabinets in my computer. I only had one big physical filing cabinet. Yet, yet there was this a kind of idea that that now that we have computers. We don't need to organise, and and yeah. I kind of you've kind of indicated that yourself that you talked about your parents and about how they were really good at organising things, and and it seems that there's less organisation today uh, w- w- when it comes to so many things, and it's it's like the skills of organisation have dissipated, that we've they've they've died on the vine in 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 some ways, and. Why do you think that is, or what's what's what was the was it the magical computer that was going to sort everything idea?
1: I I think the 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 root of the problem lies in two areas. One is the the fact that um, the capabilities of computers and certainly just just some basic things like how much data it can store has grown phenomenally in twenty years. Um if you go back to the, to the mid nineties um you, your standard forms of storing data was on one point four four megabyte floppy drives um, and 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 that tangible physical limit you, you you could see the disks building up and i I can remember working in an office where uh, we'd store the uh, the company's financial data and the sales and the revenue figures and so on and all on floppy disks. And the CEO at the time tasked me with getting the company ready to achieve a BS5750 accreditation. And that meant then documenting all processes and, and everything about the company. Um, and that's, that ran to around about 20 floppy disks and I can remember the CEO at the time looking at that and thinking that's tiny compared to the the huge number of filing cabinets of the paper everywhere. And and he envisioned a future where it wouldn't be 20 floppy disks. It would be one. And, and all of it would be kept on this one thing. And and I think this is where it then comes into the other aspect of, of things is we're not very good at seeing too far into the future. Um, Technology and the growth in technology makes that particularly difficult, but we're more focused on solving problems of a more immediate nature rather than looking 10, 15 years into the future. Um, And I I should imagine in terms of... um, where organisation has has changed over the years is because what's required or what's more important now is far more immediate. It's all about your key performance indicators. um, And if if those look good now, that's great. But it it leaves um, a trail of seemingly minor issues of, I don't have the time to organise this, that's fine, I've got huge amount of storage in my hard drives, I can dump it all on there, worry about it another time. And I also think tied into that has is, is been, jobs have become far more fluid now. Um, my father, he spent his entire working life in one company, um, whereas now spending 40 to 45 years in one company, is is probably an anomaly, and that, I've said that wrong. Is I'll avoid saying that word. Um, is is unusual. Let's put it like this.
0: Yeah, I think you know. There's something interesting there. You're getting into the, the about that the, the um, skills or the desire to organise uh, uh, seem dependent on a a longer term view of the world. If you've got a very short term view of the world. Uh, you tend to organise less. If you've got a long-term world, view of the world, you're, you're looking and say, well, I may need to find this in two years or I may need to use this mm-hmm. in two years. But if, it's, if, if, if you're going to be changing jobs or if you're constantly being pressurised for short-term targets, that the, the nature... Because the number one issue that I have found every year since 1994-95 with websites, is confusing menus and links. That has been, in, in websites, whether it's Microsoft or the Internal Revenue Service or the European Union or, or, or Toyota or wh- whoever it, it may be, the number one issue of people using the websites, people coming to the websites, is I, I can't find the features, or I can't find the, or uh, 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 or yep. this confused me, or I'm clicking on the wrong links, and and they're wasting lots of time, and yet, the the awareness of that as a as a problem. Like you 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 were telling me about how uh, you used to head up an academic the, department, and and that you, you that would involve sometimes sixty hours or ninety hour weeks, and that even though that role. Had so many facets uh, to it. Uh, you were never really expected to clean up the data. You know, um, we we seem like we don't seem to care about data quality. It doesn't seem to be. It seems that data quantity is is what drives organizational thinking rather than data data quality. What would you think of that?
1: I, I absolutely agree. Um, it, it's it's all about. Is the data there? Uh, uh, essentially, have you have you stored the data? Have, have you got it? That that's really all that matters, because accessing it, um, reviewing it on a regular basis, um, was was never a priority. Um, I I would try and keep our departmental folders as tidy as possible for the, the exact same reasons you mentioned about websites. Um, nothing frustrates me more of wanting to find a certain policy document and then spending 10 minutes trawling through multiple folders in the end you'd have to walk down to an office ask somebody where is XYZ and they go oh it's here and and anything there's something there's something missing here and I think it's tied into the the same issue I identified with websites in that I think it's, or my, my um, view in it is that it's a time-related problem and that people who are creating the folders and the structures of storage and the people who are creating the websites only spend a very small amount of their total work time dedicated towards that product, service, data, whatever, of ensuring that it's readily accessible, neatly organised and and, and functional for everybody. I found with uh, a large number of websites, part of the issue behind the organisation is the people who've made the websites just simply aren't the same people who are those who use it. And that um their their skill sets their needs their um what they're doing when they're trying to use those websites and data storage just simply aren't the same. A website developer is only going to say put ten percent of the development time into ensuring that it's organized and it gets directly to the information you need because that's probably just one of the small ticks off the requirements list that's been asked of them. And likewise, with organizing data in, uh, in, in a company service, as long as the data is in your area, it's in a particular folder, and as long as you know where it is, Everything else of it is, is it, isn't deemed important.
0: Yeah, and it's hard work as well, isn't it? You know, the the the, the yes. actually creating a data structure and information architecture, it's really hard work. And if we were doing that in a physical building, we'd have planners and architects, and you know, and they'd be they'd be spending a you know they'd be dedicated specialists, but. I can think of so many scenarios for huge websites, and I won't name them, but huge, huge Mm -hmm. websites resulting, you know, from multi-million or billion-dollar corporations where uh, three or four people sit around in an afternoon and decide what's going to be the top level of the website. Like, and, and... some idea comes up, and someone says oh let 's call that resources or you know and and decisions that will have implications for years to come get made in ten minutes because like the uh, uh, how hard can it be or or the the total yeah. lack of yeah. either interest in or either looking at this and saying, "Oh, if we 're going to do this right it 's just too hard you know it's it, it, you'd need." Specialist skills or whatever, but you know, this, this avoidance of, you know, the work that gets done in the design of physical infrastructure, you know, planning and architecting, but rarely, rarely gets done in, in the development of data uh, infrastructure, data environments. And, and it's, it's a real problem, yet it's a problem that, you know, uh, customers face, users face, people using intranets. Like most intranets are dumps. You know, staff avoid them like the plague. And yet, still management won't recognise this as a problem. I I kind of tear my hair out trying to see how to get management to actually take this problem seriously. Do you see any signs of a, a, a rising awareness that data quality and and data architecture really are are stuff we need to invest a lot more in?
1: I've seen um, working in education, I've seen the first signs of managerial awareness of this problem and it came about because of um, GDPR. Um, Because once the management team then started to go through well how secure is our data how accessible is it if somebody puts in a data request how easily can we comply with this these are the questions all being raised it was then to me the first sign that was an understanding that data needs to be properly managed and that you're eventually going to have to have dedicated staff for this purpose. Now, at the present, um, that role is very much scattered across numerous roles. So uh, the network manager or department heads would, would take some ownership of that particular task. But I think as the problem becomes more magnified over the years, the, the the need for well-trained and well-qualified data managers who can go in identify the areas that that need addressing and then propose solutions to them and then carry them out is is going to be um increasingly more important
0: absolutely and one of the things that i've noticed in the evolution of content management or data management systems over the years is that they've they've become more and more refined and simplified in their uh, ability to publish Mm -hmm. uh, and distribute publishing and distribute publishing capacities. But often... Their ability to remove stuff. Like I've come across content management systems over the years where you literally could not remove. You you could remove the link, but the the content still stayed in the repository. In the day, you had to do some uh, almost go into the core code to delete stuff like that. That there is a culture in IT of never never delete. Yeah, you know, a kind of. Keep keep everything, and and it reminds me. I do a lot of research. M- most of my job is this thing called top tasks, and over the years, it's a type of a survey method. And we've done about six six or seven hundred of them over the years, and uh, there's loads of files connected with processing the surveys. So I, I decided at one stage I'd really look at the big folder where we were storing storing all these 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 surveys over the last fifteen years, and and it was about. It was about fourteen gigabyte in in the in the overall folder so i I decided i said i'm going to look at all this stuff now and see what's what do I actually need if I need to go back to a survey in two thousand and eight and reprocess it you know i'll just isolate the stuff that I just need to do that for that two thousand and eight survey and and see is there any other stuff in there that that I, d- I really don't need. That's yeah. just redundant. It's, yeah. it's, it's either duplicative or whatever. So once I went through everything and there was, there was copies of this and we were keeping CSV files and Excel files of this and that and that. Uh, oh, it was, it was madness. Once I got into it, once I cleaned it up and got rid of everything that was junk. So it had no use. It had no function. It didn't help in any way uh, me uh, me reprocess an old survey. Um, I went from fourteen gigabyte to one point four gigabyte. <laughs> so it, it, the, the the there was thirteen gigabyte or so that had no historical value. It was just. Uh, for some reason, multiple co- copies of this or are, are, uh, um, HTML files that had no... I was wondering, what are these? Why did we keep these? These have no f- function. So there was 13 gigabytes just of of, of weeds. You know, of, mm-hmm. uh, you had a garden, it would be 13 gigabytes of, of stuff that was actually stopping the ability to actually get to the core files that you'd need to get to in the process. And I think that happens in in so many. Inf- I go into intranets and I say sales presentation systems, and there's seventy PowerPoint presentations <laughs> for uh, selling product X in Austria. You know, and sixty-nine of them have the wrong price, or have or, are half done, or there's only one good sales presentation, mm-hmm. and then the sales reps say, "Ah, oh, we don't use the sales." management system because you can't find it. you don't know which one to choose you know so uh, people say those if there's 70 presentations the the other 16 they're not helpful Mm -hmm. like it's not as if keeping them has some historical value you know they they actually damage the ability of the organization they're not they don't have any legal reason for being kept you know but but yet we we have such an in our dna to keep everything how do we get beyond that that we build up skills that say hey we don't need this what what are we going to delete today have you any ideas around
1: that i think the solution to that problem won't be managed by the end user be it somebody working in an office or a management, I think it will probably take, be taken over by the staff at cloud service. And the reason why I think this is that the, the, the past few years has seen a big swing in the percentage of global data stored by the end consumer be it on a personal computer or an office network, into cloud systems. And as more and more data gets put into clouds, those companies offering the cloud um, services will be in a better position to go, you've not accessed this data in three years. This is our policy. After three years, we just delete it. And by, and, and of course they can do that. They, they, they could simply have it there in the contract. And if you agree to their service and they agree to their contract and you've not accessed that data after three years, boom, it's gone. And public cloud is probably going to become the, the predominant percentage of global data storage. It's, uh, I think currently it's around about something like 50% is enterprise so um so for example um, Amazon's own um data services for example and then the remaining 50% is split um 25 25 with 25 being consumer and 25 being public cloud I suspect that, that in, by 2035 for example my good feeling is um, cloud will be 80 if not 90 percent of all global data and i think that's actually a good thing because it means those services can then take proper ownership of organizing the data and more importantly going this is junk let's get rid of it and and it will be driven of course by money they will have a vested interest to do this because what they would want to be doing is spending um, an increasing amount of money every year up in their storage limits Um, for example um, backblaze which is a large american um, cloud service they go through roughly 2000 hard drives a year now they're obviously buying in bulk and they're not paying um, you know and consumer costs um, but that's still in the order of ten million dollars a year and, and and that kind of money is 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 certainly going to increase um, as the need for more and more cloud st- uh, storage increases as well. Um, and so a combination of the the increasing demand for those services and the increasing cost will m- move the, the whole management of data into their hands, um, which means hopefully uh, a greater reduction in the, in the in the junk data that we have.
0: I think there's a couple. It, it, it's interesting. Yeah, they, they may hit constraints, but I suppose as long as they can make a profit off the junk, like as long as you're willing to pay the monthly bill mm-hmm. to them, where they make a profit off it, the incentive is not that fantastic. And and then the other thing is that ironically, if this if this does occur we're actually going to lose knowledge even faster than historically because let, let's say you got 100 photos that y- you stored uh, and and it's now coming to the three-year limit and five of those photos are really meaningful mm-hmm. to you, right? But 95, you double clicked or you, they're out of Zoom or whatever, you know? And, you know, if you didn't go in because they won't be able to really make that decision for a lot of the, like, what is good, and what isn't in, in the, because not all old data per se is bad data, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, it's the person who took the photos and know, hey, yeah, this isn't as in focus as as I'd like it to be, but it is one of the best photos of my grandfather that that I have, you know, That yeah. but if we don't make those decisions locally... Um, you know, it, when we're just after creating the content or, or or the information, then it's going to be very draconian decisions um, that the the people at Cloud Center are going to use. So, so we may end up, ironically, even though we we capture more data than ever before, long term we lose more knowledge. Than any society has ever lost, or, 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 you know, really valuable stuff.
1: Yeah, that's that is actually a good point in in that those 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 small um, bits of the data which are really valuable, but not necessarily instantaneously valuable, preserving those um, that that's obviously quite a challenge. This is where I think um, machine learning, so AI can actually provide um, a little bit of help because we can can train such systems to help identify meaningful data. Now that's uh, an enormous task and 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 it's not something that's um, going to happen overnight. But we're already seeing signs of this. And so machine learning is, um, we see it a lot in sort of social media um, focused advertising and so on, of the, the software is identifying um, patterns of people's thoughts and opinions surprisingly accurately. Um And if we can use similar sort of tools to filter the data and then have it so it it then goes back to the consumer and go, look, this data was important to re-emphasize the the, the need and to maintain the skills of regularly reviewing your data, I, I think that could help.
0: I think yeah, it's an interesting area, and but I think one of the things you know connected with that is the underlying issue that that um, AI like you feed data to AI like you feed food and and schoolrooms to children and uh, and us, and and if ninety percent of the data is um, a poor quality or um, junk or else prejudicial, like. If you look at medical data, historical data, the vast majority of medical research data is 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 um, on men and men's mm. illnesses because uh, up until very recently, um, very little medical studies were done on women. Uh, so if if the AI, so I saw an AI system which um, when men came through it. Rec- identified heart attack problems but when women came through it uh, identified the same problems as stress uh, yeah. and and tremendously so, so yeah can be clever in a few areas but because the underlying data is often of such poor quality or else or else biased with with a lot of inherent bias there, that there's a real Uh, uh, danger with AI that yes, it sometimes gets it fairly right, but, but many times it gets it extraordinarily wrong as well. And that if it's the the classic garbage in, garbage out, uh, if, if the quality of the food is, is not good quality that these AI systems are are being fed, then we, we'll, we'll begin to see a lot of long term, uh, unexpected, you know bad behaviors coming out of AI because of bias and 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 poor quality data
1: yeah you're absolutely right um I, and I think this ties back to an earlier point we we're discussing on 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 the need for data managers um, part of that role is is not just sort of organizing the structures but being able to correctly analyze the data for its quality um now uh, again as the amount of data generated um increases and it, it will increase at a phenomenal rate my concern is the the size of the task will will put off a lot of organizations like if if not entire countries from tackling the problem especially because at the moment storage is relatively cheap. And it's much easier to just simply throw more hard drives at the problem and store all the data and not worry about it um, for the time being.
0: Yeah, we're kind of storing the problem, you know, and yet humans have built extraordinary bridges. You know, we, we have capacities to architect. Like we have we've we've built amazing space shuttles you know landing a rocket or whatever sa- satellite on a on a an asteroid moving at 50,000 miles an hour we have shown tremendous organizational engineering capacities when we put our mind to it but we we don't seem to see mm-hmm. data as something we should put our minds to. And we're, I think we're always looking for the easy way out. First, it was computers. Now it's AI. The, the, you know, the search engine would sort it. You know, the personalization would, oh, like personalization magic. People thought. Why does this personalization software work? Well, you have to know how to personalize. You have to fine tune. You have to have a, an architecture for the personalization. Oh, I thought you just added content and it just it, it magically personalized stuff, you know. And and so so in so many areas, I've seen like eighty ninety percent of personalization projects go bust, or because they're they're too complicated to manage. Because it's it's very hard to get personalization, right? It's very easy to get it wrong, you know, and and, uh, like with AI recommendations as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the task is invisible to most people because of two aspects. One, digital data is invisible. Um, When you were talking about sort of the engineering, the architectural structures, they were very tangible. You can, you know, you could, you could see them, you could smell them, hear them, go out, physically touch them. We can't do this with data, and and it's difficult to get people to to make data in um, have that same kind of level of of tangibility to it, um, which is um, why I quite like. The, the the old days of IT when you, you could you could see your data in the form of floppy disks. Uh, I can remember when I first started working in education in the mid-90s, um we'd we'd have a whole shell in the office and you could see the the, the racks of of floppy disks and and you, you could pull them out and you could see what was on each floppy disk because it'd be written on it. And and because they the, 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 they had limits to what they could store, and they and they were in many cases very very hard limits as well. You took far more care over what was stored, how often it was updated, where the discs were kept. But we've gone from in the space of in the mid '90s using um, you know one megabyte floppy discs maybe a 40 megabyte hard drive to now you you, you, c- you can buy a four terabyte hard drive for your personal computer for a little over a hundred pounds and uh, and so all, all that need hasn't gone away but of course the the issue is now masked by the fact that you can just dump it and ignore it and I think the other facet to the problem, which is also in sort of invisible to most people, is just how difficult this task is and, and what the skill set behind it, um, the, the you know, what sort of skills are needed, uh, the level of education, level of experience. Um I, I worked for a short while in data analysis and I I was comfortable manipulating the numbers and so on using statistical tools um to identify um various patterns but also had sufficient mathematical knowledge to understand where um type one errors could appear in some hypothesis testing we were doing and so on but then translating this to people who didn't have the mathematical background W- was really difficult and the the invisibility of the data and the, the technical challenge of identifying the, the, the need for organizing the data and being able to sort of filter it um, is those two aspects. Until we've got a particularly robust underlying solution to this, and, and and for me, this comes very much through uh, in education. We're not going to really be in a position to tackle the problem.
0: Also, I, I think one of the issues, you know, as well connected with that is is that, and maybe this, and correct me on this if it's wrong, but it seems to be, I talked to you about, about the cuneiform tablets in, found in Syria 3,000 years ago, or whatever, and the, the history of the evolution of, of data that, uh, it seems, to some degree, that we traded off longevity and reliability with with, with quantity and and uh, and speed. And that you know, in some ways, that we see the data storage systems as they've evolved; they've become massively bigger, but often maybe not as reliable or not as like sure. Most of the cuneiform tablets have disappeared, but it's hard to imagine. Uh, a a data storage uh, vehicle, a hard disk today, that will survive 3,000 years, you know, e- even if there's 10 billion of them in, in the pro, So at least some uniform tablets survive 3,000 years. It's highly unlikely any form of current storage will survive 100 years, uh, let alone 3,000 3, years. And is is that true that we seem to have create uh, accepted instability or short lives for greater storage
1: we've actually accepted it for quite a long time because as, as we've gone from using clay tablets and moved into using eventually paper you think amount of the amounts of paper that's been lost over the years um And and some of that loss is, is of course, legendary. So, for example, the Library of Alexandria and the the amount of data and knowledge and information stored there, completely gone. And this must be true for um, vast quantities of um, history and knowledge kept around the world in that format that's been lost to eternity, either through fire or mould or through deliberate reuse of the material. Um, for example, some of, um, w- w- we talk about um, Pythagoras and um, his impact on the world of mathematics, but we have absolutely none of his original um, texts. In fact, everything we know about him is has, has being clawed out of documents, written centuries later and in some cases those documents were reused and it's only been um, through modern technology that we managed to actually look underneath the the, the sort of the, the the newer data to be able to see some of the original text referring back to even older texts so in in terms of giving up longevity for capacity um, th- there's always been as long as digital data has been around there's, there's always been an understanding that it's it, it is fragile just like pe- paper was um, although we, we have books several hundred years old um, we don't have as of yet, any um, robust digital systems that could um, easily store the quantity of data that we've got now for several hundred years. But we've not truly been aware of that need globally up until probably only maybe the last 10, 15 years. In fact, if you go back say, 20, 30 years ago, the likes of the BBC saw little need to preserve a lot of the content it was producing. Um, some famous examples are various episodes of Doctor Who. The the, the, the tapes were reused or just binned because they, they weren't considered um, important enough to keep. Whereas now... The, the recognition that um, the, the fragility of digital data and the need to have a more secure method of storing it long term is th- that that problem is, is actually quite an urgent problem. And there's, there's lots of research going around the world to come up with with different storage solutions that don't involve magnetism or electricity where we can store the 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 vast quantity of of useful digital data that we do have in a way that can still be accessed two hundred, five hundred, maybe a thousand years from now.
0: You look at so much else in civilization or the emergence and and, and things have got better, you know, I mean materials have become more sturdy. Uh for for building cars or maybe lighter, but you know, you know, generally houses, you know, or or the or, or maybe not, you know, but maybe there's a general fragility that has come into the modern world that we haven't really noticed. But you'd kind of think that we'd be getting better, mm-hmm. but instead we're getting because the stuff that we want to store is in danger of being lost even more than paper was lost. Like so, paper is not as sturdy as cuneiform, but it's more sturdy than, than digital. So we've kind of gone into a world uh, that has this in- incredible power in areas of computing and storage uh, or in areas of uh, computing and c- capacity to store, but has this tremendous Achilles heel in in the sense of that we, we have given up things or maybe we never could have them t- to actually... Uh, maintain core knowledge over time.
1: The 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 growth in storage directly relates to this particular problem, and that's you know the the estimate of two thousand zettabytes. You know by twenty thirty five, that's that storage capability isn't just about that's actually how much data we'll have. A lot of that storage capability. Is of course containing multiple copies, so we have backups and backups of backups and so on, um, and, and and until we have a a more robust system of preserving digital data, that that growth in in mechanical storage is going to continue because we have more data which needs to be backed up and the backups need to be backed up and so on and so on and so on
0: yeah and the crazy thing you were estimating it you know that that was it was it would roughly take 1.7 billion um uh, hard drives to store that that amount of data and at something like 350 dollars or something like that but like they'll have to be replaced as well like Mm. 20 years or at best, you know maybe 10 years in some instances so you know, it's not as if you've just solved. You spent your fifty-eight trillion, and and you have now solved your problem. It's that, you know, you're going to have to be constantly upgrading and replacing that environment yeah. o- over time. So, it, it it does seem like something needs to change in the cultural thinking of. Keep uh, you know really beginning to focus on what really matters, what mm-hmm. should we keep, and the the ninety percent that actually has no value at all, like uh let's get rid of that, and then there's debate about which of the ten percent is actually useful because mm-hmm. we're still talking about enormous quantities of data, but hopefully you know we can. We can see, and this is part of this idea of, you know, talking about the, the book I've written about worldwide w- waste, about the, the, uh, our, our, our awakening of our impact on, of our physical activities on, Climate change, but you know the the hidden growing impact of digital activities, like 50, 58 um, trillion worth of materials, is going to have a big impact on material resourcing and mm-hmm. and and waste and and etc. So hopefully, you know we can we can have an awakening uh, that will occur. I'm well. Uh, you have to be hopeful <laughs> that.
1: It would be very easy to just simply go. um, It's somebody else's problem for the future and switch off. But I am. I am. I feel more positive, bizarrely enough, now than I ever have done in previous years of how we're going to tackle the sort of the, the, the problems of the future, and that's because the the students I've taught over the years have become increasingly not just aware of these issues, but being actively determined to do something about it. And um, we've still got a long way to go. (laughs) Unfortunately, um, uh, you're mentioning um, uh, the the resources needed for just, just manufacturing hard drives. Now, Mechanical hard drives are surprisingly um, recyclable. And, and yes, we do create millions of tons of e-waste each year. And unfortunately, only a small percentage of it actually gets currently recycled. But as the young people of today move into adulthood and further, and they're driven by the awareness and the desire to do something more about it, rather than just simply doing the same thing year upon year, I, th- I think we can be hopeful of the future. We, we just need to now educate the um, the students of today that um, that there is a difference in quality of data um, and the the organisational skills that my parents had of going through their paperwork every every week every week without fail to make sure only an important stuff was kept the, the stuff that wasn't well this is going back to the 60s and 70s so recycling didn't exist they just stuck it in the fire and burnt it but it, at least they had an awareness of not just leaving problems to just build up
0: If you're interested in these sorts of ideas I've published a book called Worldwide Waste you can find out more at jerrymcgovern.com slash www. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you'd like to be part of the conversational community, hop on over to this is HCD.com where you can join the Slack community and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers around the world. Or join the HCD newsletter where you can win books and get updates. Subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and listen to any of our design podcasts, such as Getting Started in Design, Bringing Design Closer with Scullion, "Prod ProdPod with Adrian Tan and Ethnopod with Joe Hasbrook. Thanks for listening and see you next time.